and welcome to the Clinical Care Options Oncology Podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Topping. Today's episode features expert discussion of biomarker testing to guide treatment of gastrointestinal cancers. This episode is part of a larger educational program titled Conference to Clinic, Recent Advances in Biomarker-Driven Treatment of GI Cancers. During this podcast, Dr. John Marshall from the Lombardi Comprehensive Cancer Center at Georgetown University in Washington, D.C. discusses such important topics as current testing approaches, testing for specific biomarkers and varied tumor types, and at what disease stage to assess these biomarkers. Please visit the show notes for this episode for a link to the complete program, including downloadable slide sets and an on-demand webcast. Now, let's get started and hear what Dr. Marshall has to say on this important topic. My name is Dr. John Marshall from Georgetown University's Lombardi Comprehensive Cancer Center, and I'm really pleased to be a part of this terrific program. And really what I want to focus on over the next 10 to 15 minutes is an overview of the molecular testing that is really essential for the management of all patients with GI cancers. And I wanted to kind of start with uh, some of the basics, because I recognize clearly, because it's true in me as well, that I don't completely understand how some of these tests are being done. You know, I if you gave me a CT scan disc, I could put it in my computer and I could almost read that thing. I could almost interpret the CT myself. Now, I might miss a few things here and there, but I could do a pretty decent job of telling the quality of the CT scan, what it tells me, what it doesn't tell me, whether there's contrast or not, that sort of thing. But when I do the same thing for molecular testing, you know, I send it off or I request a molecular test, I'm not really sure how that test is done. I'm not really sure of error rates and precision and all of that. So I do think we as oncologists in particular need to have tighter communication with our pathology friends to better understand how these tests are being done. And so just to remind everybody, there are a lot of basic tests that we do all the time. Immunohistochemistry, for example, is a test done done on the tissue itself. It's a stain that's put on and you say yes or no with the presence of a particular protein or other marker. Um, And we know how that's done. We're pretty familiar with that. We know the turnaround time of that is one to two days. We know most of that can be done locally in our own uh, uh, systems. Um, But we also need to remember that the reagent that goes against that, the antibody, if you will, that lights up the the marker uh, can have to be pretty specific. Look at PDL1, for example, where we have, you know, I think it's up to five different PDL1 antibodies that are used um, to test for the different drugs, crazy as that sounds. So, unless your pathologist is really in the loop on what the type of cancer is, this sort of thing, you might be using the wrong PDL1 marker for your patient's tumor. So good coordination around there. And then the sort of next place we go is next-gen sequencing, so genetic testing. And for a long time, we've been able to do even locally um, a few genes here and there, um, and our pathologists have the capability to do that in their own labs. 
but what's happened is we've gotten more and more complicated. We've gotten broader and broader genetic testing. And with this next-gen sequencing, one of the critical things is not only uh, uh, the, the tissue quality, what we send into be run, but also what's called depth of coverage. How, how likely are we to miss a mutation? How likely are we to find it? And so this is something that becomes increasingly important. And then beyond that, there are now rare mutations that we see, say, in intrek fusion. This is an RNA change that's best detected using RNA testing. And so what was just simple immunohistochemistry evolved to next-gen sequencing of DNA has now evolved to now RNA testing and beyond to artificial intelligence. So this field is changing incredibly rapidly just over the last five years even. And I think we'll get simpler, but for right now, it's relatively complicated. So you need to make sure you know what you're doing, what you're ordering, why you're ordering it, and the like. And so to really then get into the weeds of specifics around GI cancers, um, I think we're all really aware that we need to know MSI, microsatellite instability, for every patient with solid tumor. And of course... Uh, colorectal cancer in the GI space is the most common to express uh, MSI high. It could be germline, it could be a somatic mutation, but all of the GI cancers uh, could, in fact, express microsatellite instability. So you, in fact, want to know that for every one of your patients. And in my opinion, regardless of stage, um, we do think a lot about this testing in metastatic disease, but MSI is one of those that you need to know in any patient at any stage just to understand are they at risk for the Lynch syndrome um, and potentially immunotherapy options uh, for those patients. But let's walk through each of the diseases in turn um, and kind of review what the key molecular test that you got to know that should be in your HPI, if you will, for every patient with a cold GI cancer. And in colon cancer, it's MSI, as I mentioned. It's certainly RAS. Now, not just KRAS. It's all RAS. You need to know BRAF V600E mutations. You need to know HER2, right? Because particularly in left-sided colon cancers, HER2 overexpression can be seen and particularly can be seen in those patients who have RAS uh, or who are RAS wild type, that same patient that you're thinking about giving uh, EGFR therapy to. And we know to keep that kind of line of thought going that if they are also HER2 positive, the EGFR drugs don't work as well. So when I think about EGFR therapies, not only do I want to know right, left, RAS, BRAF, I want to know HER2 uh, to select those therapies uh, for patients. And of course, you want to know NTREC. You want to know NTREC for all of these different diseases uh, and the like. So increasingly, we are doing um, broad molecular profiling for all of our stage four metastatic colorectal cancer patients. Um, a newer technology that's really emerging through colon cancer but would be applicable uh, to almost any GI cancer is circulating tumor DNA. And of course, that's a different kind of test looking for minimal residual disease. So even the evolution and role of this testing uh, is happening quite quickly. So I think most people are pretty up to speed on the colorectal testing that is required. Um, 
And then the last one there would be tumor mutational burden. And again, true for all colon cancers, all GI cancers, you want to know tumor mutational burden. So um, the next one that I want to focus on is gastric cancer. And I think this is actually relatively confusing um, because gastric cancer is not one disease. There's esophageal cancer, there's GE junction cancers, and there's gastric cancer proper. But in all of these, you want to know the same basic molecular testing at this point. Again, you want to know microsatellite instability. You want to know PDL1, I think, in all of these patients. That does seem to be a, a predictive uh, marker for patients in, in IO therapy. So MSI, you want to know. HER2, you want to know. Um, and PDL1, you want to know. But again, here, you want to really do broad testing because of the rare mutations that, that are out there. But critical to everyday testing is HER2, uh, MSI, um, and PDL1 in gastric cancers, regardless of location, even though the frequencies of these are different in different places. Pancreas cancer has been a little bit more of a desert with regards to true actionable mutations the PARP inhibitor olaparib is for patients who have BRCA germline mutations um, in the maintenance window. Um, and, you know, we know about BRCA as a predictor for homologous repair deficiency. But remember here, the study was done with germline, not on the tissue. So there's always a lot of question marks about, well, do I really do both? Do I test the tissue and germline? Um, and for me right now, I kind of do it the other way. I test the tissue first because I'm doing broad molecular testing. If there's a strong family history, I also do germline testing. But by the book, you're supposed to do both of those testing. So, so one, you want to know BRCA, not only for therapy, but also for inherited cancer syndromes. But there are a lot of other related homologous repair deficiency genes. Plus, you can rarely see NTREC. You can rarely see um, uh, MSI in, in pancreas. So uh, if you look broadly, you might find as many as 25% of your pancreatic cancers have some sort of molecular abnormality that would influence your therapeutic um, uh, focus. So I do think if there is adequate tissue, then pancreatic cancer should be broadly tested. But this often brings up the question, you often don't have adequate tissue to do the broad molecular testing. There's just not a big enough bite, if you will, to do all the testing that you need. And this is where liquid biopsies um, uh, may play a role. And here, this is really cool technology. It is technology that we all are heading towards. Um, uh, but the problem is the liquid biopsies aren't as good as tissue biopsies in terms of depth of coverage and detection rate, et cetera. And a lot of our cancers don't shed enough cells, enough DNA into the circulation for there to be detection. So that doesn't mean don't use it, don't consider it in GI cancers. I think liquid biopsies are very useful uh, in the right patient setting. Tissue still remains the gold standard, but at least if you don't have enough tissue, liquid biopsy uh, is a decent uh, corollary. Now, the one that sort of makes me roll my eyes a bit is that look at all of the success that we're having in hepatocellular cancers um, with our therapies. Just remarkable positive impact, lots of new medicines, and yet we really don't have any molecular testing 
that's required in hepatocellular. In fact, I'll go one further. We often will treat hepatocellular cancers without a biopsy, right? Uh, we'll do it based on imaging. We'll do it based on um, biomarkers in the blood, um, but we don't really do required tissue testing. And I think it'll be very interesting as we begin to evolve molecular testing into HCC, how much impact that will have. So one place right now where molecular testing is not big is in HCC, although we'll see how that goes. But that's in contrast to biliary cancers, and particular intrahepatic biliary cancers are quite rich um, in uh, targets. We have approved drugs against targets. Um, they have, that's where you see a lot of your fusions, your FGFs, your IDH1s, your intracts, etc. So I think every biliary cancer, and in particular intrahepatic biliary cancer, must undergo uh, molecular, broad molecular testing to help define treatment options. So you've got some standard of care chemos, but you also have a fairly rich uh, panel of therapies that are available to you in these uh, mutations in biliary tract cancer. So don't forget to do it in those tumors as well. So that's the high-level overview of the different GI cancers and the specific molecular testing. If you noticed in almost every one of them, I came to the same conclusion, just do broad testing. And that really comes back to our local pathologists and our communication with our pathology team. One of the first questions that comes up is timing. When should we do this testing? Well, in GI cancer, my argument would be right away, as soon as you have adequate tissue to do it. And frankly, for most of my patients, I'm doing it even in earlier stage cancer, but certainly for metastatic disease right away. You want to know as much as you can find out about the molecular results um, so that you can plan out your treatment strategies uh, for these patients. You need adequate tissue. We have a lot of mucinous tumors. We have a lot of small biopsies, endoscopically obtained biopsies, FNAs, that wouldn't be adequate for broad testing. So you do want to get enough tissue uh, and track that if you haven't. For example, I've got a patient now whose tumor was so mucinous that I didn't have enough to do broad testing for him. So I, in my note, I've left a note to myself, we still don't have broad testing in that patient. So tissue quality matters a lot. And this is where your communication with the pathologist becomes important. And then finally, sort of who does the test? And I see lots of different practice patterns around the country here where some healthcare systems are doing them internally. Some are strategically partnering with a, a, a company that provides this service. Um, but whatever your strategy, you need to know what you're getting and what you're missing when you do that. Um, and so um, in results, so a lot of local uh, profiles may not have everything you want. Everything I just listed, for example, may not be accounting for all the different pdl one antibodies or looking for all of the RNA fusions that are out there that you need to know. And so you need to know what you're doing there locally, what you're getting for that, what you're not getting for that. And so decide when is right to do a local test and when is right to partner externally for, for the testing. And then I see as the future, of course, as I mentioned before, liquid biopsies and the, the real 
pathway that is taking us will, of course, make life much simpler for us uh, in all that we are doing. But I would still say liquid biopsy testing is a little bit behind tissue testing, but stay tuned. I think that technology is going to really take off over the next year, two, or three. So I hope this review has helped um, those of you who took the time to listen in um, and um, realize that hopefully a year from now, everything I just said will have evolved a bit further. Uh, and in fact, uh, we have even more to tell you in this world of molecular testing in GI cancer. John Marshall from Georgetown University. Thanks very much. Thank you very much, Dr. Marshall. And thanks to you, the listeners, for joining us. As a reminder, to view the full program, Recent Advances in Biomarker-Driven Treatment of GI Cancers, and to download the materials associated with this discussion from the Clinical Care Options website, please click on the links in the show notes. As always, thanks for listening.